And now you're in for a special treat because we've driven him over all the way from Delaware City. Andrew Armstrong. Uh, Andrew Armstrong. Andrew Hudson. <laughs> hey, you got my name. Andrew, Andrew my Hudson. Name right. Give it up. Good morning, it's everybody. It's good to be with you guys. I, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later, Bill, about that comment. And we will duke it out. No, I want to just apologize. Uh, as a start off, I've been fighting a cold and uh, sore throat and stuff. And I did not sleep very good last night. So if I seem a little fuzzy or off, uh, that's probably why. At least that's what I'm going to claim the reason why is. Um, but uh, in my weakness, he is stronger, right? All right. So um, about a month ago, I guess it was a month and a half ago, I got a really bad headache right here in the back of my head, just kind of where my... Um, you know, the lower part of my, or upper part of my vertebrae, I guess, and kind of lower part of my skull. And it literally did not go away for three and a, and a half weeks. It was constant. Like, it's like somebody kind of like, like I hit the back of my head and I just had like a bruise, just kind of this dull ache. Day or night, it wouldn't go away. And uh, I'd take some, you know, over-the-counter stuff and that would kind of dull it, but it still wouldn't, it wouldn't completely go so finally finally I listened to my wife and went to the doctor uh only took three and a half weeks but um I went to the doctor and I you know he asked me some questions and wanted to run some tests and he said he said but I gotta be honest I honestly think it's stress I think it's stress he said and I was kind of like caught off guard by like that because I thought that's as good as you got like stress that's it I mean this is bad man this is bad and he, but he said, well, have you been in, under any, like, intense stress lately? And I said, you know, not really more than normal. But after I was driving home and thinking about it, I had the thought of, what if my normal isn't okay? What if what I think is normal, what, is, what has become my normal is stress, is not okay, and it's finally catching up with me? And it's finally wearing me down. You know, we live... In a culture of restlessness, this is the introduction in your notes, there are a culture of restlessness. I know you guys would all agree with me. You know, the average American lives a chaotic, busy, unsustainable pace. You know, we, we know this to be true in our lives. We work more and sleep less than ever. Gallup did a study and they said that the average American adult who works full time is actually working 47 hours a week. Seven hours more than the typical 40. Uh, and that's average. So that means that many of us in the room are pulling 50, 60 hour plus weeks consistently. And that is uh, one and a half hours more a week than we were working just 10 years ago. And we sleep less than ever too, on average 6.8 hours a night, which is an hour and a half less than we were getting back in the 1940s. And you've probably heard most sleep experts say you should get somewhere between seven to nine, maybe even 10 hours of sleep. So that means more than half of us aren't getting enough sleep. And so what does this cause? This has caused, you know, new things to be invented to help us solve this problem. You know, we, we have things like energy drinks now, you know, and energy shots, like, like five-hour energy, like in the 1990s, nobody even knew what these things were. They hardly existed. And today, it's like a double-digit billion-dollar industry in the U.S. alone every year. 
And we're, we're, told, we're told that technology will save us. Technology will make our lives easier and smoother, and that'll be our answer. Uh, but um, because now we have personal computers in our pockets, everywhere we go, we can answer emails and texts on, at midnight or on vacation. But get this, this is crazy. This is crazy. So in the 1970s, when the personal computer was kind of starting to be invented and, and people were, Congress was imagining, they did this report, they put out a report and a study. They were imagining as the personal computer got, like, became an everyday item in, in business, that, that employees who are working 40 hours a week were going to get that same work done in four. Four hours a week, they were going to accomplish what they used to do in 40. And so they were telling employers that you're going to need to start to give a lot more vacation time because your employees are going to have a lot of free time on their hands. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, that, that's crazy, you know? So why do, we, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we work so much, fill our schedules so much? Why? Why? Because it makes us feel important. It makes us feel important. Look at, look at what Eugene Peterson says about this. He says this. I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. So I develop a crowded schedule and harassed conditions. And when others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. So we are busy, 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 and our lives are out of control. But the beauty of our God, the beauty of our God is our God is a God of rest. Our God is a God of rest. You know, think about how does this story begin? The very beginning, Genesis 1. God creates the universe, everything in it, you know, the stars, the land, the sea, the animals, the plants. And on the sixth day, he makes man and woman. And he's so exhausted after making us because we're such complex pieces of work, right? <laughs> that it says in Genesis 2.2, this is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Rest is not only an okay thing. It's not only a good thing. It's a holy thing. It's a blessed thing. And we need to get that back. The world needs to get that back. You know, we've been doing this series where we've been studying the man of Joshua in the Old Testament as being a person of influence. And over the last month, we've looked at different attributes of him and characteristics of who he was, trying to glean from his life, you know, as, as a person of influence and how we can become kind of like him. What can we learn from him? And today we're going to be looking at how Joshua led the people to rest. And he, not only that, he was a person of rest himself, that he moved and acted from a place of rest in everything that he did. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll kind of get more into the scripture here, but pray with me here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray your presence would be with us. We pray you would lead us today. You would nudge us, you would encourage us, you would transform us into being people of rest. People of rest, amen. 
So the first point in your notes says, restlessness is a common effect of sin. It's a common effect of sin. We think that our culture today isn't, isn't how it used to be. If we could just get back to simpler times, then that would solve our problem. But the truth is that for almost the entire history of mankind, we have been restless in one way or another. Because restlessness is a common effect of sin. See, when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate that good-looking fruit, they were cast out of the Garden of Delight, what we call the Garden of Eden. And as a consequence or curse on Adam, Scripture says that he would restlessly have to work for the rest of his life. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Just surviving is going to be exhausting, Adam. Just surviving. You're going to have to work hard just to get food. But in the garden, in the garden, there was perfect rest, perfect peace, what the Bible calls shalom. Because but because of sin, nothing knows rest now. Nothing does. Think about it. Adam and Eve, for Adam and Eve, there was no rest in their spiritual life because the relationship between them and God was broken. They were cast out of the garden. The same is true for us. You know, we're born into a world where we're searching and we're looking for a relationship with God. We know there's something that we need and is missing in our lives. And not only that, not only spiritually, you know, our lives are broken psychologically in our own heads. We, we struggle with our identity, fears, anxieties, depression, our shame and guilt. There's no rest. There's no rest between us relationally. You know, Adam blamed Eve and, and they hid and covered themselves up. And we struggle relationally. You know, we struggle and, and we treat each other terribly whether it's little tiny things where we say these little jab comments to our spouse or if it's like big major things like, like what's happened in Las Vegas. You know, and not only relationally, there is, there is no rest in creation. Creation is groaning. There's no rest. We have hurricanes and diseases. Everything is, is, is restless. And yet it's God's desire to renew all things and his plan to bring everything back to perfect rest. And in Joshua, we see that the Hebrew people, they've been continuing the same pattern that, that had been going on since Adam and Eve. And even though they had seen God's awesome power and his presence, they too have sinned against him and they're forced to walk for 40 years in the wilderness restlessly. But, but God, through Joshua, is going to lead them into the promised land, the land of rest. And in Joshua 3, 14 through 16, we actually looked at this story of crossing the Jordan already in this series. But I want to look at it again real quick through a different lens, through this lens of rest. So Joshua 3, starting off in verse 14, this is what it says. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
had piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now, this is a common story. I know many of you have heard it many times. But I want to look at it through this lens. lens. God is telling Joshua he's going to lead the people across the Jordan River on dry ground. God's saying that he's going to stop up the water. And in Scripture, water can often represent different things. It can often represent life and cleansing, but it also can represent chaos and disorder and restlessness. And even in other ancient cultural texts around the same times, that's how they viewed water, was this chaotic disorder of restlessness. And so what do we see here is kind of interesting. God, what does God do? He stops the water, and he chooses to stop it at a town called Adam, probably actually pronounced Adam, but we'll call it Adam because that's how we like to say it. And I, there's a few things I find interesting about this little detail. First of all, isn't it ironic that God chose the to block up the water and make a dam at a town called a dam. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? Now, I, I don't know if I can say, can I say that in church? I used it in the right context, right? I'm okay. Um, but, uh, but that's just coincidence because, because, you know, nobody in that, those cultures or areas spoke English. So that has not, you know, that's just coincidence. But what I don't believe is coincidence, what I don't believe is coincidence is that God chose that town. That is not a random town. He did it on purpose, I believe. I think it's very symbolic. See, and I wish we had a map for this, but the Jordan River flows north to south, okay? Long, skinny river. And then at the top of where it starts is the Sea of Galilee, this big, big, what we would say a really big lake probably. And at the bottom is the Dead Sea. So the Jordan River starts at the north and flows down. And Jericho right where they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan, is real far south, almost near the Dead Sea. So God could have chosen basically anywhere along that river to block it up. And everything that flowed down would have been dry. But he didn't stop it right above Jericho. And he didn't stop it at the Sea of Galilee. He stopped it kind of in the middle at this town, Adam. And I don't think that's coincidence because that name also has the same name as the first person who ever brought restlessness into the world in the first place. Do you see the symbolism in that? God is saying this restless, chaotic, flowing water, I'm going to choose to stop it at the town of Adam. This, um, this barrier, this water that's keeping you from going across to the promised land, the land of rest, I'm going to stop it at Adam because that is where the root of the problem started, in the man of Adam. And they crossed over on dry land and ending their 40 years of wandering and restlessness, and they got to go into what would become their new home, the promised land, where they would eventually come to find rest in. All throughout the book of Joshua, there's this theme of rest from beginning to end. At the very beginning, in the first chapter, we see Joshua 1.13 says this. Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. 
And then like a bookend at the end of it, towards the end of Joshua, in the very second to last chapter, Joshua 23.1, it says this. After a long time he passed, and the Lord gave Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua by then, a very old man. So from beginning to end of the book of Joshua, there's this promise and realization of the people of Israel coming to rest through Joshua as a leader, as a person of influence. And the world says, if you want to be an important person of influence, you need to go faster. You need to go harder. You need to do more. You need to get busier. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not sustainable. You're going to burn out if you try that. I have a different plan for you. I want to show you how to be a person of influence through rest, being a person of rest. So the question to ask ourselves is, are we leading people toward rest or away from rest? As moms, as dads, as husbands, as wives, as bosses, employees, adults, and adolescents, do our words and our actions lead people into rest, peace, calmness, shalom? Or are we adding to the chaos? Are we adding to the restlessness? We, we may not get to walk across on dry ground under the Jordan River. That is probably not very likely. But we can be people that lead others into rest, that find ways to do that. Second point in your notes, it says, rest is found both in the journey and at the end of the journey. In the journey and at the end of the journey. The story of Joshua is not just one of him sitting around and being lazy all the time. His story is a very much a story of action, battle after battle, responsibility after responsibility, you know, he, it is an, uh, a packed-filled book of the Bible. But yet he doesn't live, he doesn't live like our American mindset says to live. He, he lives from a place of rest. In Joshua 6, it tells the, the very popular story of the Battle of Jericho. We looked at this as well already in the series. But, but God tells Joshua to repair the priests and the army, and they're going to walk around the city walls of Jericho making a bunch of noise. That's what I want you to do. And I think many of us imagine this city as being pretty large. I, do, I know I always kind of did in my mind, but, but in reality, it was very much kind of a small city compared to today's standards. Um, they've, archaeologists have done some research, they've done some digs, and they, there's a little bit of debate exactly how big around the wall was because there were actually two different walls at different time periods of history. But most of them agree it was probably around six to nine acres. Now, if you're familiar with acres, that's not really big. And a football, walking around a football field is actually more than one acre. Okay? So, so even if we go on the higher estimate, we say, you know, how long would it take for them to walk around nine acres or nine football fields and make some noise? Not that long. You could probably do that in like an hour. And so God tells the whole army and Joshua to lead the people. He says, every day for six days, I want you to walk around this city one time. That's going to take about an hour of your day. What did they do for the other 23 hours? Well, the story doesn't tell us, but I don't think they did much. I think kind of nothing. I think 
Joshua took a siesta in the afternoon. You know, we, they're in a battle, and yet God is providing them rest in the middle of the battle. In the middle of the battle, God is giving rest. And Joshua 6, 12, the, the morning of the very first time that they're going to walk around the city before they do it, we read this really simple verse. It says in 6, 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. That is an easy verse to just fly right by. Think nothing of it? Not much there. But let me ask you this. Without an alarm clock, mind you, think about it. They didn't have those back then. When do you ever wake up early? When you wake up early when you don't have an alarm clock? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it's usually one of two reasons. One, I'm really anxious about something. Like, I, something is weighing on my heart and my mind, and I, my mind is racing, and I cannot, like, I just have to get up because I got to solve this problem. I'm worried about something. Or two, I got a really, really great night's sleep, and I feel really rested, and I am ready to just go for the day. Now, we don't know which one, you know, Joshua was experiencing. But I really believe it was the restful one because, because when he gets up, we don't see any evidence in the story of him being anxious at all. You know, we don't see him getting up and starting to panic and calling all of his leaders together and saying, hey, we got to come up with plan B because this plan God's got is crazy. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, so we need to start talking about how we're going to flank them and how we're going to ambush them. And, and they do that in other parts of the book. I mean, he's, Joshua was a pretty smart military leader. But in this story, he didn't do any of that. He's total peace, totally trusting in God, total rest. He just does what God says, and it turns out pretty, pretty miraculous if you know the end of the story. We are a busy people, and to be honest, that is not going to change completely. We aren't going to wake up tomorrow morning and not have things that, to do or responsibilities to fulfill or things to accomplish but we can still be a people of rest. We can move through our days from a place of rest. We can have rest both in the journey, not just at the end of it. But how do, how do we do that? How do we live from this place of rest? Maybe, maybe that's not quite the right question. Maybe it's not a question of how, but of who. Who? See, Joshua is a great example for us to follow. But there's an even better example a second Joshua. Do you know this guy? Jesus. Jesus, which actually means Joshua. We've talked about this too. It actually means Joshua in Greek. They have the same name. Jesus of Nazareth is the ultimate model of rest. I'm gonna, we're not, we don't have a slide for this, but in Hebrews 4, you can study this on your own. In Hebrews 4, the author tells us, that the rest that Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land was imperfect. It was incomplete. That there would be a, a future day, another day that God would bring them into this perfect, ultimate rest. Another day to come. And if, if Joshua had done a good enough job, if, if what Joshua had done was as good as it gets, then there wouldn't have needed to be another day. So what's that other day? Well, I'll tell you what the other day was. The other day was the arrival of the kingdom of God coming in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this earth, the author of rest showed up. 
he showed up. You know, we find rest in Jesus. We find rest in Jesus both in the journey at the end of the journey. Famous verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this. Many of you I know know it. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a double shot of espresso. That's not what your version says? In your, no, oh. no, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest is a promise, a promise of the gospel. This is, this is really good news, that we can receive and find rest in Jesus both now as we go through this crazy life and no rest at the end of our lives. Jesus promises us eternal rest and peace in heaven with God the Father and him. But eternal life can also begin now. We can receive rest now while we're still in this journey. Many have referred and described Jesus' attitude and approach to life to work, to rest, is what we call a contemplative posture, a very deep and thoughtful posture. Look what, look what Steve Summerall, a vineyard pastor, says about Jesus' attitude and approach. Look what he says. Perhaps, perhaps we can adopt a contemplative posture as a way to live our lives. This would radically change our lives. When, we, when, we picture, when you picture Jesus with the 12 disciples around him and a whole crowd of people approach with sick. What does Jesus look like? How is he responding? Do you picture him being frantic, stressed out, worried? No, I think he moved out of a deep, quiet, peaceful communion with his Father. See, Jesus modeled for us how to be restful in the journey, not just at the end of it. And we often work And he would often work a busy, crazy schedule, caring for the sick and healing them, preaching to large crowds, but he would always go off and be alone and find rest. Not only did Jesus find rest, he invited his disciples to do it as well. Those that he had influence over, he modeled for them and encouraged them to do it as well. Look what it says in Mark 6, 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, did not even get a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus influenced his his disciples and challenged them in this way. We too can be influencers like this. How we approach life matters. You know, people around us are watching us. They're seeing how we do life. They see the rhythms of life that we have and the habits that we are building, and it impacts them. You know, when the neighbor's dog keeps leaving these nice little nasty presents in Jane's yard, and Jane goes to her neighbor and responds with grace and mercy, how does she do that? Well, she's, a, she's a person of rest. When, Joe, when Joe's kid is, is throwing a temper tantrum or melting down, And he disciplines him in love and in patience and doesn't lose his temper. How does he do that? He does it from a place of rest, a place of peace. 
God can use us to shift the trajectory of our own lives, but not only that, our families, our friends, our neighbors, by showing and modeling for them what it looks like to be people of rest. Third point, third point here I want to make is that rest is not instantaneous, but rather cultivated through spiritual disciplines. Rest is not instantaneous, but cultivated through spiritual disciplines. Many people want to be like Joshua. Better yet, hopefully, hopefully better yet, they want to be like Jesus, but are unwilling to do the things they did. Jesus regularly practiced spiritual disciplines. And if the Son of God found them as absolutely necessary, then how dare we think them as optional? You know, all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is going off and he's practicing silence and solitude, prayer and rest. So I want to suggest, and I want to suggest one way of thinking about how we can build habits of spiritual disciplines such as these, and it's called the principle of seven. Okay, the principle of seven. Seven minutes a day, seventh day of the week, seven days a year. And I want to explain what I mean by that and unpack it. But seven, many of you know, is a biblical number. It's a number of completion. It's, but it's also the number of biblical, or seven means is the day of rest, right? On the seventh day, God rested from making the whole universe. And we talked about it being a holy day. So seven minutes a day, what do I mean by that? What if we started just taking seven minutes somewhere in our day to simply close your eyes and sit in silence, alone with God? Not asking him for anything, just being with him. This is what a lot of people will call centering prayer or contemplative prayer. It's a way to connect with God in a different way than maybe many of you guys are used to. But just taking seven minutes in your day somewhere to just imagine being with God, experiencing his love, his peace, his joy, his rest. On your lunch break at work, in the morning when you get up, in the evening before you go to bed, whenever it works in your schedule, you know, set a timer on your phone or, you know, a different timer for seven minutes and practice this. And I know, I know for a lot of you, because I'm looking out and I, see, I know a lot of you have little kids right now. Let me just speak to you for a second because I know what that's like. You're thinking, I can't even find seven minutes, Andrew. That's not going to happen. I'm telling you, put on a cartoon, okay? Put some toys in front of them. Go lock yourself in the bathroom. Do it. Go do it. Go lock yourself in the bathroom. Set a timer on your phone for seven minutes and just be with God. Just be with God. But just, just to warn you, you know, it also takes the average person about seven minutes to fall asleep. So if you're really tired and you fall asleep in the bathroom, that's just going to be awkward to explain. But, but seven minutes, seven minutes. And you can go longer than this. People, people who, when you get going, you can build a habit where, where all of a sudden you're doing it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. And I know that doesn't always meet with everybody's schedules, but... But this spending time in silence with God is so freeing. It's so freeing. But it's not easy. I'll be honest. The first, time I, first few times I tried this, I, um, I thought, man, it's got to be seven minutes by now. And it had been two. 
two minutes. Why is that? Because our minds never shut off. Our minds are constantly going. We are constantly bombarded by information with social media, sounds, noises, and the idea of being silent can honestly be painful at first for some of us. I know it can be, but, but it can be really freeing too because you know what I've learned? That when I come out of that seven minutes, when I come out of that seven minutes, my breathing has slowed down. It has physical manifestations in my body. My breathing slows down. My stress is less. You know, and I go back. My, my blood pressure is lower. That would be good for a lot of us, right? And I go back to my day in it from a place of rest, from a, from a place of peace. And, it, and if it affects how I handled situations. Seventh day of the week. Seventh day of the week. This is traditionally known as taking a Sabbath, which is one of the commandments that God has given us, by the way. Take one day a week to just rest. Just hang out with your family. No agenda. No to-do list. Take a nap. You know, Steve Summerall, that same vineyard pastor, look what he says about taking a nap. For many... Taking a nap would be the most spiritual thing they could do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I know. I was thinking, some, you know, some of you are thinking, you know, husbands are thinking, nudging your wives. See, when I took that nap yesterday afternoon watching football, I was being spiritual, honey. You know, I was being, I was spending, you know, I was being godly and, oh, it felt so good. But take one day a week. Take one day a week where you just go with the flow. There's no agenda. You know, whether it's hanging out with your family, you know, reading or playing games, going on a leisurely walk or bike ride, not to burn calories, just an easy walk and spend time with God. And God will bless you for it. Seven days a year. Take seven days a year off, maybe just to be restful, to be restful. A lot of us like to go on vacations, which is great, but have you ever been on a vacation where you... When you got back, you realized you needed another vacation because it was so exhausting. I know we've taken those. We've taken those. You know, most people, most, typically most people get at least two weeks off. So take one of those crazy, exhausting vacations one week and, and the other week, just be at rest. Maybe stay home. Maybe don't have a ton of to-do things, you know. Uh, read a couple books. Take a nap. You know, be at rest. Take time with God for an extended period of time. And I, I realize that for some of us, you know, seven days in a row, that, that may be impossible. That may be. But what if you broke it up? You know, a couple days here, a couple days there. You took a couple weekends a year where you just said, honey, family, we're not, we're not going to do anything this whole weekend. We're just going to rest. And be strategic and intentional about it. I remember a couple or last summer, last summer, not this past summer, but the year before, Sarah and I were celebrating our 10-year anniversary, and we went to the beach, and we left the kids at home, and we went, well, not at home, I guess they were with their grandparents. <laughs> they weren't alone. Um, oh, that just got me in trouble. Um, but um, we left them with their grandparents, and we went, and we went to the beach, and all the whole time, we just, we took a book, took our water, and we would go to the beach, and we would just read and fall asleep. Like all day. And it was awesome. <laughs> and I would watch these families with, you know, three, four kids, and that's usually typically us. And, 
And I would see, you know, husbands and wives carrying stuff, you know, like this, out to the beach, heavy loads of stuff. And literally 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, they're making the same trip back because their kid's crying and hungry, and you know, and they just looked exhausted. And I thought, I know what that's like. I'm so glad that's not me right now. But, But we have to be intentional. Rest is not just gonna fall on our laps, not in the world that we live in. We have to be intentional. These are all just suggestions, starting points, but, but remember that anything is better than nothing. The point I wanna challenge us in is to just be intentional and in setting aside opportunities to rest because rest is not instantaneous. It takes work. It needs to be cultivated through things like these, these spiritual disciplines like this. So to kind of wrap it up here real quick, I want to I just take a second here, because as I've been talking, I know that as I've been talking, some of you, some of you are really restless. Your life is exhausted. Your life is exhausting you. And you are at a place and a point where you know that you have been trying things and looking for things, and nothing has filled that void in your life. And you've tried all these different things, but yet the restlessness just creeps back. And if that's you, if that's you today, I just want to say to you that the answer to your restlessness is Jesus Christ. He is the author of rest. And in him is the only place that you will find perfect peace and perfect rest. So real quick, I just want to take a second And if everyone wants to close their eyes for me, I just want to say a quick prayer. And if you would say in your mind that, you know, I don't know what that's like to have a relationship with Jesus. I've never had that. Or maybe you had it and you've kind of walked away from it. And you want to just recommit to that. I'm just going to say a real simple prayer. And I just want to invite you to pray along with me. Just in your hearts. God, I am restless, and I have been looking for something to fill. And I believe that is you. Jesus, will you show me how to follow you and live like you lived, a life of rest in the journey. Thank you for sacrificing your life and dying on the cross for my sins so that I can also know rest at the end of the journey as well and have eternal life with you. Begin to show me what it looks like to live in a relationship with you, God. Amen. You can go ahead and look up right now. If, uh, if you prayed that prayer, will you tell somebody about it? Come back and tell me at the visitor's welcome or tell another pastor or tell somebody you know that's a Christian because that's a big deal. And we want to help you in starting or restarting, you know, that part of your, this journey with God in your life. But to end off, we always kind of end, if you're visiting today, We always like to end at the end of our service with some time of ministry of of praying for people. Typically, that looks like inviting people to come forward and get prayer, but I want to shake it up a little bit today. Okay, we're going to stay in our seats, and I'm actually going to guide you guys through a seven-minute centering prayer activity so you all get to participate today. Okay? So, so what it's going to look like here, let me just explain here. What it's going to look like is for the next seven minutes, we're just going to sit comfortably. 
Get your feet comfortable, your hands comfortable, your body comfortable. And we're going to close our eyes. We're going to quiet our minds, quiet our hearts. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine simply taking a slow walk through a garden with God. You know, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve would, would walk with God in the cool of the day. No desti- you have no destination. You're not trying to get anywhere. There's no goal in mind. You're just being with God. You're not, e- not even ask, don't ask him for anything. Just be with him. And here's what, a couple things that are going to happen. You're going to be tempted to look at your watch. Okay, don't do that. I'll keep the time. I promise I will get us out of here on time. Those of you with kids, I will get you out of here on time. Okay? And your mind is going to wander. It's going to happen. You're going to start thinking about, you know, can the Browns actually beat Danny's Jets today? You know, like, you're going to start to, you're going to think about the rest of your day, but when that happens, that's okay. Just come back. Come back to that thought. Don't entertain those thoughts of wandering thoughts. Just come back to a place where you're imagining walking with God. And JT is just going to, he's not going to sing a song. He's just going to play some background instrumental music to kind of drown out the, the coughs and the squeaky chairs that will inevitably happen. But we're just going to take seven minutes or so to do that. Okay, does that make sense? And of course, if you need to go, you, you can go. Like, it's not like you're in prison here, but... But I really want you guys, I really want to challenge you to engage in this, to practice this. So let's go ahead and do this right now. Let's go ahead and close your eyes. Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Kind of clear your mind and your heart. And start to imagine just walking with God. That he loves you, that he wants to spend time with you. You you don't even have to say anything. Just be with him. Just fix on that picture for a little bit here.
keep your eyes closed for a second and take a few take a minute here to let your mind come out of the silence to just say thank you to God thank him in your mind for his love his grace his mercy faithfulness keep your eyes closed and just take a minute to do that feel like feel refreshed raise your hand if you feel refreshed look at that how many of you feel um how many of you would have thought that was a, that was at least seven minutes andrew you went over that was way anyway nobody oh you're on because it was only five i <laughs> i thought i'm gonna torture you guys if i because it takes practice but how many of you feel like physically different in your body like your breathing slowed down you know, like you can feel that difference. I saw people wiping tears away. I saw people just kind of have this presence of peace over them. Now, how, be honest, who fell asleep? I, I know, I know there's a few, okay. So for those of you that fell asleep, here's your homework, here's your assignment. You have to take a nap today, That you have to. That is a requirement, power nap at least, because you obviously need it. You need it. But let me, let me just do this. I, well, first of all, I hope that was really, I know that for some of us that was, may have been challenging, but, but I really hope that was beneficial for you guys. But I just wanna, we got, I just wanna take a quick second here. I just wanna pray a short final blessing over you guys and then we can leave, leave in the silence here. But just pray with me real quick. God, you are the Lord of rest and you know us, and you made us. And each of us is unique, and each of us has unique circumstances, and we're in our unique season of life. Will you help show us how we can be people of rest? Will you help us to embed and adapt these ideas and principles into our unique lives, and how they will work for us? Help us not only to be a people of rest, but to lead others into your restful presence. One of the greatest ways One of the greatest ways, God, that we can witness the beauty of the gospel to others is by showing them that you offer them ultimate rest. We ask for your presence and your peace and blessing on today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now go home and enjoy naps this afternoon. If you are interested at all, even vaguely interested in in Brazil, I know JT's gonna be meeting back in the offices back there. He would love to talk with you. And if you're visiting for the first time today, I know I'd love to meet you. Uh, or in any of the pastors, come meet us back at the Visitor's Welcome. Get your free gift. Have a great weekend. Bless you guys.
Jesus. 